Well, welcome to One Life Community Church. My name's Greg. Um, most of you know the, the intro stuff, so all of it to say again, we're happy, happy that we can be together in whatever way we can. So from that space, let's pray, and we'll dive into some other stuff for this morning. Uh, dear God, we give you great thanks for this day and for your presence with us, and we just ask that you would be with us, Lord, whether we are here or whether we are at home or for those of us who are other places, God, we ask that you would be with people today. Lord, we desperately need you uh, in our lives, and so we just ask that you would be close, you would be near, and that we would know that. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been working through this sermon series entitled, God is Love, and it's this exploration of a letter that was written about 2,000 years ago uh, by a close friend and follower of Jesus, this guy named John. And he actually wrote three letters, uh, the first one which we're looking at, which is a larger letter, the one we call 1 John, and then there's 2 John, which is actually a cover letter for the one that we're looking at, and then 3 John, which is a personal letter written to someone in the same uh, community. And so... We're looking at one of those. But he's writing to a group of people in a specific time, in a specific setting, when the church was young, right, very young. It's not even 100 years old at this point. And so this letter fits that time and that place and those people. And so our task as we explore this is to figure out what was John saying in that letter, really what was the Spirit saying through John in that letter that we can take with us today and how does that impact us? And so we've called this series God is Love because one of the key passages in this sermon, this guy John, he says that. He says God is love. And it's something that John built his whole belief system around. Because it's not that he said God is loving or that God loves or that God can love or that God should love, but God is love. It's a statement about God's very nature. And for John, how God is understood, spoken about, taught about, and related to, how people who follow God live that out, it's critical. It's super important to him that uh, the way that that's all expressed and done uh, looks like God. Now, when we first started this series, one of the things we did that was different from what we normally do is we read through the whole letter, right? And then we had about 10 minutes or so to give some time to to hear responses from all of you. What did you think? What did you hear? And one of the things that we kept coming back to was this duality that exists in John, that he often will say things that are, it's this or that. And for some of us, that was, we didn't really like it because he not only said there's this or that, he said it's this or that, and there's really nothing in between. There's no room for movement. And so that was difficult. And then one of the other things was some of it was not just the this or that nature of the statement, but it was the content of it. And we often felt like, oh, boy, that makes me feel uneasy because I'm not always sure where I am in the this or that statement or where the people I care for are at. And so today is going to be one of those statements. Today we're looking at one of those moments. And so I just want us to be aware of that as we head into it. We're going to be looking at uh, 1 John 4, 1 through 6. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there or you can follow along as I read. The verses will be up on the screen um, and you can uh, read along there if you're at home. I'll be up on the screen for you also. So this is 1 John 4. uh, That says 1 through 64. We're not reading through 64. Uh, It's through 6. Uh, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. 
Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Now, last week I said this whole week is going to be about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role and all this stuff about love one another and fellowship with God, uh, and, and it is. But one of the things we also discovered as we went through this book that John has this way of he introduces a topic and then he shifts through several other topics and then comes back to it and we find that it's all build, built up kind of like this Jenga thing, um, uh, the Jenga game and uh, the pieces it feels like if we pull it out, the whole thing's going to topple, but he's built it in a way uh, that, that we're going to come back to it. So we're going to introduce some stuff about the Holy Spirit today and then in a couple weeks we're going to find that John's going to come back to that. Um, now, if you also remember a few weeks ago, I introduced this word called inclusio, and what that means is that uh, John uses some literary devices, sort of like pieces of bread in a sandwich. He's going to sort of hold really important ideas and things together uh, by these words, and in this section he does it, what we're finding is it's going to actually be like a triple or a quad-decker sandwich that he's building, and we're just on the bottom layers today. Um, but he uses the phrase, uh, dear friends and dear children, as sort of those pieces of bread, those things that he's going to contain certain ideas with and use to transition. But it's also important, he doesn't use those just because they're, they kind of stick out and they'll, they'll draw our attention, but he's using those as, um, they, they show his affection for his readers, but also these are markers of identity. John wants them to remember that they are dear friends and they are dear children because the stuff that they're going through is really hard. And one of the things that is helpful besides getting a drink of water, one of the things that's helpful for them as they hear this is to remember that they are friends, that they are children of God. Um, some of you know that uh, a few times we've used the First Nations version of the Bible, which is an indigenous translation that uh, translates the New Testament. Um, and in that version, uh, they've switched dear friends and dear children into much-loved friends and much-loved children. And there was something about that that it's not drastically different from dear friends and dear children, but when I read that this week, I was like, ah, there's something I kind of just wanted to sit in that. Much loved friends, my much loved friends, much loved children. It seemed to have a, like a deeper push to it, and so I was really uh, thankful for that. And so I wanted to highlight that because I think it's important for us too as we walk through this to remember these things. Now, John starts all this with, uh, again, the phrase, dear friends. He says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And I wanted to highlight a couple of things. So I, I, I highlighted these words because it's important to know what John means when he says things. This word spirit in the Greek is this Greek word pneuma, and it shows up 
a lot of different places, and it means a lot of things. It means wind, it means breath, it means wind of God, breath of God. It means sort of the, the breath in us, like the physical breath in us, but also kind of the spirit in us, but it also means the spirit of God. And so it's got all these different things. And so what does John mean? John believes that behind human actions, there are forces that will work to influence how human beings will behave. And it's not, uh, there are other spots in scripture where we see this and it's called like demon possession uh, and things like that. And he's not talking about that here, uh, although that's, that's part of the scriptural story. But he's looking more at an influence that can happen through like cultural shifts. And it makes me think of how uh, today we, we encounter things uh, through social media where we read about different people, people groups who are trying to use social media to facilitate certain beliefs or certain responses. Right, so that's, it's kind of that feel. Or if you know, uh, sometimes there's a word or a phrase or a piece of technology or maybe a movie or a book or uh, something like that, TV show that it comes out and, and it's kind of being made a big deal about of, but we're like, eh, it's not really for me. I don't really care about that. But then it's like, well, if I saw it or if someone gave it to me, I wouldn't like give it back. I'd probably keep it. And all of a sudden we realize we've gone out and bought it right, or, or we've participated in it, and it has this move behind it. We're not really sure how we got there or why we got there, but we had this feeling like I just needed it. I wanted to be either in the know or maybe I was kind of jealous of somebody that had it. Um, and so sometimes we find there's shifts and movements that happen, and we're not even aware of them, but then we end up kind of in the middle of it. And that's really what John is thinking about here, that there's something behind the actions that people make that will influence uh, and, and try to move them in certain uh, directions. Now, um, John's reason here for us wanting to be aware of that is because he says many false prophets have gone out into the world. Right? And this is another thing we need to be aware of. What does he mean by false prophet? Well, for John, when he's thinking of a prophet, he's thinking Old Testament because the New Testament the letters are around, but they haven't been canonized or anything. There's lots of things. So he's thinking Old Testament, right? So he's thinking about the Old Testament prophets. And in the Old Testament, a prophet was someone who could speak for God, right? Not say something like, oh, I think I kind of sense God moving this way or, man, it seems like God might be up to this. But they would actually speak for God. And, and, and so we have phrases like, the Lord says, or God says. And a couple of quick examples uh, from one of the more prominent prophets in the Old Testament is from Isaiah. In Isaiah 30, one through five, it says, woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. Right There's Isaiah speaking for God. To those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Haines, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. Welcome to Sunday morning. Um, but if we, if we move to Isaiah 41 through 5, we see also the other side of it. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So again, it's not just, I kind of have this idea about God. These prophets are speaking for God. And so when John is thinking about this and thinking about false prophets, he's thinking about people who either claim or have others claiming that they are speaking for God as God's mouthpiece and with some level of authority to do so. So it's not just someone who disagrees with us, not just someone who doesn't match us theologically or even uh, our beliefs, but it's someone who claims to have authority from God and speak for God. And these false prophets are out teaching, preaching, communicating a message that's not only not just not helping, but it's causing damage in people's life. And so John wants his readers to know who is a true prophet, who is speaking by the Spirit of God, and who is speaking by a different spirit. And so the follow-up question that we should ask and that John anticipates is, okay, so if that's true, how do we know? Right? How do we test the Spirit? So you've told us we need to test the Spirit. So these false prophets have gone out. Then how do we do that? And John says, I've got you covered. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Now, again, I've highlighted a couple of words that I think it's important to recognize. The first one is acknowledges. Now, some translations use the word confess, uh, but I think in our culture, the word confess has lost some trust. Like when I hear someone say, well, someone confessed this, there's part of me that feels like, well, in our legal system, someone will confess to something different than what they may have actually done because they're, they're working a deal, right? And so there, there's a way that, in, at least for me in our culture, confess doesn't have the same meaning that it once did. But this word acknowledge, I think, uh, is a term that works really well because acknowledge means to recognize as genuine or valid. So it's not just something that someone says. It's not just words. Most people can say the words that we would look for in what we call a confession of who Jesus is. But this is something more than that. It's a recognition of something, and a recognition of something in a way that, that I would adjust my life to. Or I can sit in an intersection at a red light, and I can say all day it's a green light. But watch what I really believe by whether or not I drive through that intersection when the light is red, even though I'm saying it's green. I can say all day, speaking of green things, that... Uh, Mountain Dew is bad for me, right? And I know that. Now, to acknowledge that means that I'm going to either adjust my life uh, or I'm going to say I'm fine with the consequences, right? But there's an acknowledgement that either has an impact on and I change to avoid it or I accept it and deal with those consequences. Uh, Unfortunately for me, I have chosen to accept that Mountain Dew is just Yeah, we'll talk about that at some other point. Um, But the Greek word here that that we're looking at is this word. It's hamalageo. And it means to agree, to concede, uh, to promise, or profess. And those are all uh, right in the wheelhouse of what we're talking about. Right? Agree, concede, to promise, and profess. And sometimes what I like to do, 
because it's helpful at times, but not at other times. I like to look at the root words and see if there's something I can learn about how this word is understood that it's, that it's helpful. And so this word, uh, hamalageo, has two root words. And the first one is hama or hamu, and it means uh, together at the same time. Right? So it's got this idea of synchronicity. It's bringing something together. And the other root word is logos. It's of speech or a word. And we hear about this, in the beginning was the word, John would say, and that's the, the logos. Right? And so when I think about it this way, it sort of adds into, it's not just recognizing as genuine or valid, but there's something of an alignment that happens, a bringing together maybe of who we are, the things we believe and think in a way that I can express them, maybe in words, maybe in action, right? But when I acknowledge something, I live in a way where my, all the stuff I'm thinking about it can come in alignment and be expressed clearly, Right? And so what this does is it, it continues to fill this out and say, for John, again, it's not just words that he's thinking about. Right? It's, it's, it's something beyond that. And so when John says, um, you know, uh, there's this fellowship with God that we talked about earlier, he's saying that's transformative. It's the catalyst for a person's ability to love God and to love others in the way that God has, that there's something in that that he sees reflected in this acknowledgement. And for him, it goes deeper even, uh, as we talked about before, there's this idea that secessionists, this, this group that left, that one of the issues is that they left because they didn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. Right? And that's a big deal. But I think for John, it's even deeper. Right? One of the things... Um, he notes, well, uh, this guy Raymond Brown uh, said was that the issue is not that the secessionists are denying the incarnation of the physical reality of Jesus' humanity. They are denying that what Jesus was or did in the flesh was related to his being the Christ, meaning that his life and therefore death was not very meaningful and specifically within the, the sort of regards of salvation or being saved. And so we can see how for John, when he says something like, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. If this group or these other people are saying, mm, Jesus' life didn't really mean that much, it wasn't that significant, it really didn't have much to do with the work of salvation, I think John's going to have an issue because what that means then is when uh, if Jesus' life is significant in its ability to transform and save, then his death, his giving up of his life, would also be insignificant in its ability to transform and to save. And so for John, again, it's not just, well, they didn't believe that Jesus was a human being, but they believed that Jesus' life didn't matter. And whenever we shift into a position of saying someone's life doesn't matter, saying someone's life is insignificant, then we shift into dehumanizing. We allow ourselves to shift into a spirit of antichrist that would say life doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, says the opposite, that life does matter. Human beings are not to be shut down, ridiculed, bullied, used and objectified, all the other things we could say, and it doesn't matter who it is. And so that's why John, when he gets to this spot, he makes this, he does draw a hard line. 
because it's completely connected to everything he believes about loving one another and the transforming of the world into a place that embodies the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love. So yeah, it does really matter to John, and he is going to say, if it's not of God, then it's, eh, there's a path of destruction. And then John reminds his readers that this spirit of the Antichrist, the power behind moments of dehumanization, is already in the world. Now, we're very aware of that. We see it all the time, sometimes uh, from a distance, sometimes, unfortunately, in our own lives. And so John's readers might be feeling a bit overwhelmed by that. Oh, what do we do? What about us? How are we doing? And so he comes in with the phrase again, dear children, much loved children. As that reminder, remember who you are. You are a beloved child of God. And what that means is that you have overcome that dehumanizing spirit. The one that says that life doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you've been transformed in a way that allows you to love one another. And that is evidence that this is true, is that they've continued to love one another. And that they've done this because the one who is in them is greater than the one who is in the world. For, G for John, it's always going to come back to Jesus. Jesus being enough. Jesus being a foundation to build off of. Jesus being the transformative catalyst that brings about love and life in a broken world. And then he goes on. He goes on to say that uh, those who are, it's not just in the world, but who are allied with the world, who lean into the world to find their identity, Right, that they also will listen and speak from the viewpoint of the world. And this should make sense. If you're a person who doesn't want to be following God or doing things that are actually anti-God, then it would make sense that, that you're not going to listen or respond in a way that's going to allow to have much influence on your life people who are pursuing God. Not all the time. But it's certainly true for, for a lot of believers. Right, that we will say, yeah, I don't, I don't listen to other people. Now, what I want us to be careful of here is that John is not saying we don't listen to people in a way that, that we care. We don't even listen to them in a way where we can't be taught by other people. What John is saying is that in terms of our relationship to, to Jesus, there can't be another voice that is allowed to influence us over Jesus' voice. Because there are a ton of things that the Bible doesn't give me information about. The Bible didn't help me a lot in math. Right? It tells me who the creator of the cosmos is, who, who created something that runs in systems expressed in math, but it didn't help me with the actual sort of figuring out of the problems. It doesn't tell me how far away the earth is from the moon, or even how to figure that out, or how to do my taxes or to fill out a job resume. But there are lots of people who know how to do those things really well. Some of them are within the community of faith and some of them are without. There are lots of people in this world who love really well and some of them are part of the community of faith and some of them are not. 
We can learn from anybody. We can grow from interaction with anybody. But what John is concerned about is that who then are you letting define who you are? And for him, it's always going to be Jesus. Take whatever it is you've learned and bring it back to Jesus. Jesus, what do you think about this? Oh, it's fantastic. It's great. Jesus, what do you think about this? Nah, not so much. All John is saying is the most significant influence on our life needs to be Jesus. And so John says followers of Jesus will listen to one another and love one another and that people who are not following Jesus will not uh, listen to people who are. And, and he's sort of brief about that there. But so we've gotten through all that and you might be asking, well, we didn't really talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. Okay, what about the Holy Spirit? In John, 1 John 3, 24, because John says, this is how we know that he, being God, Jesus, lives in us. It's by the Spirit he gave us. Well, the truth is, is that it's the Spirit who, who teaches us. It's the Spirit who reveals to us. It's the Spirit who enables us to know these things. If we're sticking with John's theology in his gospel, he wrote in 1425, all this I have spoken while still with you. This is Jesus talking. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So there's a sense that the Spirit reveals. The Spirit enables us to see things that maybe we've forgotten, reminds things, stirs things. John 15, 26 and 27. When the advocate comes, who I will send you from the Father, Spirit, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. What does it mean to testify? It means to, to witness. It means to somehow communicate to the, to the world, um, to, to the cosmos, that Jesus is real, that Jesus is, is here, and that God sent him, and the Spirit is here, and all that stuff. And so how do we do that? Sometimes it's by words, but sometimes it's by actions. It's by how we respond to things. John even says in this letter, don't, let us not love by words, but by deeds. Right? So there's a big part of this, that it's the, this testimony that we're being called into is through our lives, through our actions, So John's trying to invite us into that relationship. He said at the very beginning, I'm writing this so you can have fellowship with God and with us. It's this idea of what I'm inviting you into is this relationship where you can live, move, and have your being in a way that allows you to relearn and reimagine what it means to love people. And so we know that we have this fellowship with God. We know that we have Jesus living in us because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals this to us, opens our eyes and hearts so that we can see and receive God's love, acknowledge God's love, and then empowers us to follow Jesus and walk with Jesus and love one another and everyone we find on our path so that our lives become that testimony to God and his love. And that just touches on the work of the Spirit. But the Spirit is not easy to pin down. Impossible, in fact, to pin down. The Spirit moves, and we read uh, in, in other spots in Scripture where uh, Jesus will say that the Spirit is like the wind in the trees. We don't see it, we don't hear it until it's in the trees and the leaves are rustling and we see them moving. I want to tell a quick story. When I was doing campus ministry at the University of Washington, 
there was a guy who called me one day. I'd never met him before. And he said, um, you don't know me, which is always a great way to start a conversation. Um, you don't know me, but I want to meet with you. But I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want you to like tell me anything about God. But I want to meet with you. I got some things I want to talk about. Okay, that sounds great. Um, and don't expect that anything's going to come of this. I'm, not, I'm never going to meet with you again. I just want a one-time thing. Okay, fine. So we met. He's a nice guy. He's having some issues with his significant other. And it was really going rough. And he was feeling all kinds of feelings about that. And said, at the end of it, I said, do you want to pray? He said, no, I don't believe in that. I said, do you want me to pray for you? He said, you can do whatever you want, but I don't believe in it. So I don't want you to do it now. And then at the end, he said, and I'm not going to call you again. I'm not going to see you again. So goodbye. I said, goodbye. That's an appropriate way to respond. Uh, about three weeks later, he called back and said, I don't want you to think anything of this, but I'd like to meet with you again. And not for anything, nothing's going to happen. I just want to talk to you about some more things. Okay, that sounds delightful. So we met, basically the same pattern at the end. Don't pray for me, and I don't want to meet with you again. All right, I'll just keep the next three weeks open. Um, <laughs> Right? And, and so it kind of went on like this. Right? And, it, and at one point, I asked him, I said, hey, you know, we've been meeting, this is about five or six times now, and you have some great questions, you have some great insight, and it's cool for us to meet, but we have these things called small groups. Oh, I don't want anything to do with that. You're trying to get me into a group. You're absolutely correct. I am trying to get you into a group because I think it would be great. I think it would be good. You have cool things to say. You have great ideas. And maybe you'd like to meet with other people who are kind of thinking through some of the same things. Nah, I don't know. Okay. Do you want me to pray for you? Sure. Oh. Okay. Do you want me to pray for you now? No. Okay. That's fine. So about a month later, he calls back. Are you still doing those small groups? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to know. Thanks. Bye. Okay. About a week later. Hey, uh, maybe I'd be interested in one of those small groups. I don't know. What, what's it like? So I described it. He showed up to the small group and had a great time. The, 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 the other guys in the group were really great, really uh, kind with his questions and his comments. And he just had a good time and felt connected and cared for. Do you want us to pray for you? No. So he met with us for the rest of the term. And at the end of it, um, there was something, again, with the, 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 his significant other that was really going difficult. And he said, uh, and I'd like to ask you guys to pray for me. Yeah, absolutely, we'll pray for you. What do you want us to pray for? I don't know. Right? I just, this situation is really difficult. And uh, part of the problem was is they worked together um, and, and they had broken up at this point. And so he's like, it's just really difficult for us to be around each other, but we work together. They worked at this uh, little dessert cafe, and so sometimes they were the only two people there, and he was like, and it's just really tense and difficult. And we're like, yeah, no, that sounds difficult, so we'll pray. So we prayed. And then he called me, it's like two weeks later, kind of coming to the end of the school year, and he said, Greg, the craziest thing happened. I was like, ah, that's another great way to start phone conversations. But I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, I was working with, uh, with, with my ex, 
And, you know, we're in this space, and, and, and she just started saying how there were really difficult things going on in her life, and she didn't know where to turn, and she didn't know what to do, and she just, there was lots of things. Everything was heavy, and she felt like, she said, I just feel like I can't even take a step. And he said, and I don't know what happened. I just said, I think you need Jesus. <laughs> and she was like, you don't even believe in Jesus. He's like, I know, but, but I know some people who do, and they seem to, like, have some ideas about some of this stuff that... It doesn't seem helpful all the time, but sometimes it really does seem helpful. And so, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something in that. And she all of a sudden said, I believe in Jesus, like out of nowhere. And he was like, I don't even believe in Jesus. How do you believe in Jesus? And he talked to me later, and he was like, Greg, I don't know what happened. He later on decided he wanted to follow Jesus and did some missions work, and now is doing all kinds of cool international uh, work, just very cool stuff. But... He'll, he, he will often tell me, like, I don't know what happened in that moment. It was still me talking, and it wasn't like something moved my mouth, but just what came up out of me was, maybe you need Jesus. And, and he said, it just had to be the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. right. The Spirit will move in ways and sometimes facilitate things. that. And he was like, yeah, but I, how do I know it was the Spirit of God? And I was like, well, because it's Jesus, he's all over this, right? And, and, and things went really well, and things began to change, and they never got back together, but they could be in the same space and work together, right? And so all the things he had prayed for, those prayers had been answered. And so what I want us to think about, because for him it was beginning of a realization that he was a friend and a beloved child of God, a much-loved friend and a much-loved child that really, I think, began to open up some doors for him. And so I'm going to call the worship team up, um, and then in just a moment, um, I'll, I'll pray. And uh, I don't have any questions today, but I have a sort of reflective uh, kind of thought, something for you to think about. Um, so the band will play and give you a moment to do that, and then we'll close with a song and a benediction. But the, the thought is, is that, like I said, there's no questions this morning, but maybe we can rest in the hope and reality that we are much-loved friends and much-loved children of God. Can we allow ourselves to be open to the movement and the presence of the Holy Spirit to remind us of this and all that that could mean? John built his life on this reality that Jesus' life and death were significant enough to change him in ways that would allow him to see others' lives as significant also, right? To see who he was and then that allowed him to reimagine what love was. Maybe God has something like that in store for each of us today. So let's pray and just sit and soak for a minute and then we'll close with a song and a benediction. Jesus, I'm so thankful that in us noting that your life mattered, that your death mattered, you teach us that life matters. You teach us that every single person that we cross paths with is that beloved child, that much-loved child, that much-loved friend. Maybe we all don't know it. Maybe we haven't heard it. But Lord, what kind of place could this be if that's who we were able to be? People who would say, hey, much-loved friend, much-loved child. So Lord, I pray that in each of us, you would help us, you would transform us even more, no matter where we're at on that path, to be people who can communicate that 
and, and, and to, to anyone and everyone. And Lord, I even think that maybe places where we have made boundaries to say, uh, I don't want to say it to that person. Maybe help us, God, to know if that's a right move or not. And Lord, help us to know when, no, that's not a move I can make. I can show this person love by, by maybe keeping a little bit of distance for a while. Lord, help us to know how that works and where that takes place. But I do pray that we would begin by knowing that we are much-loved friends and much-loved children. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.